The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you interested in changing a part of your life? Whether it's finances, relationships, reducing stress, or just personal health, sometimes just changing a few small things can bring great rewards. Welcome to Moving Forward, Wellness One Step at a Time with Dr. Serena Wadhwa. We'll provide possible steps you need to see these improvements. All we ask is that you try them out. Now, here is Dr. Serena Wadhwa. All right, and welcome to today's show. Thanks for joining us. If you are in the Chicagoland area, it's quite a nice day, so I hope you are still tuning in for today's show. We have uh, Dr. Joan Fire Routman. Did I pronounce that correctly? Fire Routman. Routman, um, who is with us today to talk about cancer wellness, and she um, has a doctorate in psychology. Um, also has trained at the Family Institute of Chicago and has, among other things, worked with individuals and families in their cancer journey for over 20 years. So I really appreciate you taking out the time to talk with us today. Welcome. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Well, let's jump right into the questions here. You know, you talk, um, I know in our previous conversation, we've talked, we talked about a lot, a lot of different things. And one of the questions, um, you know, that frequently comes up is that people, individuals see cancer, obviously being a very, very medical issue. And tell us a little bit about what you have seen from your work and your background, the role of a psychologist um, in in cancer treatment. Okay. First, let me um, mention that um, cancer is without a doubt a traumatic event, but it can become a teachable moment to minimize the negative and maximize the positive impact of illness on recovery and quality of life. So as a psychologist who has worked with cancer patients for many years, I help them on their journey in many different ways. I'll list some of them for you, and um, there are many more ways, but these are some ways so that people out there who are confronting cancer may decide to seek help from a mental health professional to help them along. First, of course, is the shock of the diagnosis, and so sometimes psychoeducation is helpful right at that early time to help them with the process of becoming a cancer patient. Next, um, we may need to help patients manage their anxiety in relation to just the prospect of receiving chemotherapy. You know, chemotherapy has gotten a bad rap about its toxicity, and many people, many people are afraid of it. And so sometimes I need to work with them even before the first treatment session, just between diagnosis and treatment to help them work on that issue. In terms of uh, receiving chemotherapy? Yeah, a lot of people have read or checked the internet and saw all this bad press about chemotherapy, 
and they're afraid that it's poison, and they're putting yeah. poison in their bloodstream. Oh, I see. Okay. And they're very afraid of that. And so we try to balance that with all the good chemotherapy can do for people. Um, okay. I actually uh, was uh, facilitating a support group once many years ago, and one of the patients in the group was having trouble with this very issue, and another one said to that person, you are so blessed looking at the pole with the bag dripping, you know, you are so blessed to have the great minds of science and medicine to be able to provide you with this type of treatment. Because how long ago was it, not very long ago, before we didn't have chemo to treat cancer? Yeah. We, we can be grateful in some ways to the great minds of medicine and science who have provided this and also, what I've seen in the many years I've worked is a huge change in the availability of different chemotherapeutic agents and other pharmaceuticals or drugs for cancer patients. So when I first started out, for any given cancer, there might have been one or two types of treatment available. If that didn't work, it wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Now, many of the cancers have many options. And so there's a lot more optimism and hope available. So, so it sounds like, I mean, from what you're saying, there's even a shift in how, in how we may perceive, like, because you may have a cancer diagnosis, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you're, that, that that's it. That's the end. Oh, of course not. Of course not. And we'll get to that a little later, I think, when we're going to talk about cancer as a chronic illness. Okay. Okay. So let me just continue on with a a few more things that a mental health professional can help a cancer patient with in their um, journey. So another problem, a very big problem, and even patients who are not cancer patients may relate to this, is waiting for test results. The anxiety, the sleeplessness can start two weeks before a scan. And cancer patients do get many scans, usually every three months or so. So... Two weeks before, when it's scheduled, right, they start getting anxious and insomnia may set in, right? And then it may take another one to two weeks before they sit down with their doctor to discuss the results of the scan. So what happens? All the what-ifs take over. They're worrying about the results. What if it's not good? What if it came back? What if it spread? And that robs the individual of his or her precious, precious energy that could be used for positive things like cooking a healthy meal or going out for a walk, having an entertaining evening, any of the things that we can think of that are pleasant. Connecting um, with friends or support right, members. Right. Okay. And not only that, we'll get to this also a little later when we talk about the mind-body connection. Worrying has been shown to have deleterious effects on the immune system. So that it's not only the insomnia and the loss of positive energy for good things, it's also, it also could be having physiological effects. So working with the worry is a big part of my job. So let me just for a second here. Um, you mentioned that, and I'm a little curious about this because, you know, for people, for individuals that have not experienced um, you know, that, that possibility of having the diagnosis or waiting for test results. How, how do you describe that to like, 
um, to, to people? Like, how, how do you describe what that feels like or what that what that may be like? Um, you know, because I know earlier we talked a little bit about chronic illness, and I know you want to talk a little bit about that later. I wonder, though, is it is it the same as waiting, like, for a test result for, um, like, heart disease or liver disease or something of that nature? Yeah, or is it, I mean, it, it, it okay. all depends on how long the lag is. Now, I, I should say that there, I remember seeing an article um, not too many years ago that there has been or there, is a t- there are attempts to improve the turnaround time between the time a scan is taken and the time um, you can get your results. And now with the Internet, things are a little more speedy. Some medical, big medical centers may actually forward test results um, through a, a HIPAA compliance email system uh, to, to the patients so they actually can see their results, those who want to, before they talk with their doctor if the appointment isn't for another week or so. So there is some improvement in that. But it's, you know, think about prevention for a minute. Women getting mammograms, yeah. you, you might have to schedule it two weeks in advance, and then you might have to wait a week or more to get the results. And yeah. that's usually if you don't have a pre-existing uh, risk factor or you don't have a family history of it, you may not be feeling that anxious about it. You may go about your life, you know, waiting for the, not waiting for the results, but forgetting about it that you're waiting for the right. results. But when you're in the throes of cancer treatment, that's more difficult to do, to just okay. put it in yeah. the back burner for now. Mm, okay. So getting back to, you know, other uh, other things that a psychologist may do in, or mental health-wise, just what, right. what might be that role? So as a uh, family therapist, I also try to address any family issues, how to balance family responsibilities, for example, while being a cancer patient. And those can be very um, varied, you know, depending on the person's family and their particular circumstances. Um, Cancer doesn't occur in a vacuum. So sometimes somebody could be having to take care of an elderly parent at the time of their own diagnosis. Sometimes they could have just welcomed a new baby. Um, Sometimes they might have an acting out teen. So there are all kinds of family issues separate, actually, from the cancer treatment. But then we also have family issues that relate more directly to the the cancer diagnosis. And that may be a teen who is very distant and cool because of her fear of what might happen to the parent. And then you might have another child who is clingy and anxious, not wanting Mm -hmm. to go to school because Mm -hmm. they know the parent is not well. So we have all kinds of dynamics in the family system when cancer is present. And so when you work with family members, I mean, what, you know, just kind of just given what we've talked about so far, I mean, I know one of the things that um, you've mentioned was about preventative medicine and preventative prevention just in general. But for those individuals that are listening right now that either may know somebody that's um, in the throes of waiting for a diagnosis or waiting for test results or for individuals that are waiting for their own test results or family member, what, what kind of suggestions or small steps can you give them 
um, you know, if there's something that they want to do right now for for themselves or for someone else that they may know that's that's struggling with this? Well, first, if it's the person who's facing cancer, they should be um, open to trying to tell family members how they can be helpful, okay? Mm. So trying to say, I need this from you, or I don't need this, because sometimes family members can become overly protective and overly hovering, and the person feels a loss of control under that kind of environment. You know, I, I once had a case where the whole family wouldn't even let the patient make their own doctor's appointment, even for a non cancer-related doctor like the dentist, you know. Um, They were taking over everything, which is actually unhelpful because that that person needed a sense of control over her life. Especially with a diagnosis like cancer when it feels like your body is so out of control. Right. So it sounds like one of the things that you recommend is, is really just allowing a person to be, to do their own things. As much as possible. And as much today, as possible. people are able to do that more and more, um, which we'll get into when we talk about how cancer has really become, for many people, a chronic illness. Um, but the, the flip side of that question is also family members may, or friends may not know how to help and what mm. to say, and sometimes they're distant under those circumstances. And I would recommend that they, you know, muster up their courage, and say to the person facing cancer, how can I be of help to you? Mm. And, you know, ask in concrete terms, you know, do you want me to cook you a meal? Can I take the kids for a day? Do you want me to return your library books? You know, specific mm. things, because those are, those are the types of assistance the person may need. Do you need, a draw, do you need a ride to the hospital or the center where you're getting your treatment? Okay, that well, and those are really great suggestions. So when we come back, um, we'll continue the conversation. Stay tuned. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Take charge of your fitness and take charge of your healthy life. Listen for Be Fit for Life with your host, Chad Austin. Think back over the past week, the past month, the past years. Are you like a lot of other people? Too busy with the kids, work, travel, social calendars, business calendars, the day, the night, this and that. Make the decision to be healthier. Just do it. Chad Austin has made a living from motivating people to stop excuses and make fitness a priority in their lives. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You 
are listening to Moving Forward, Wellness One Step at a Time with Dr. Serena Wathwa. If you have a question or comment for the show today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Serena Wathwa at gmail.com. That's Dr. Serena W-A-D-H-W-A at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. All right, and thanks for joining us. Or if you are just starting to join us, we are talking with Dr. Fair Routman about cancer wellness and just kind of exploring the topic when it comes to prevention and coping strategies and kind of understanding where uh, integrative treatment is at this point. And I know um, before the break, you were providing some information about, um, you know, what is it that individuals can do to help themselves if they're waiting for a diagnosis or if they've been diagnosed and what a family members and friends can do. And and it sounds like, I mean, just to kind of go back to that for a moment, that communication is really, really important. Oh, for sure. Definitely. And I'm wondering just, you know, based on your experience, when when you come across you know, family members or individuals that uh, may be waiting for the diagnosis or have the diagnosis. What what generally have you found to be things that um, you know get in the way of being able to communicate what they need? Well, firstly, it could be anxiety, just mm. about you know all those what ifs, you know, thinking that it's a ticking bomb, mm. and um, and so and and it depends on the stage that the cancer was discovered, whether it's early stage or late stage, you know, there are, uh, there is a vast difference in the type of treatment people get today, depending on the type of cancer. It's not all one thing. Cancer is not all one illness. Some are, they're all difficult, but some are easier or have more uh, treatment resources available than others. And I I actually want to make this point, which is um, very important for your listening audience. I am not trying to minimize in any way um, the difficulty and complexity of navigating the cancer journey. journey. I know it's very hard, and it really stinks. You know, It, it has gotten better over the years because there are so many more resources available, but it's not easy, and even though I'm going to be talking about lots of different coping strategies and helping people view it as a chronic illness rather than a terminal illness, I am in, by no means minimizing the impact a cancer diagnosis has on the individual and the family. Well, and I'm glad that you said that because, I, you know, it, it's a scary thing, period. Oh, for sure. For yeah, sure. absolutely. And there's no two cents about that. It's just, it's a scary thing when you, when there is even the possibility that this may happen to you or is happening to you. And and I'm, I'm really glad that you said that because I know a lot of people, you know, even like with individuals that I may have seen, um, you know, in, in therapy that are waiting for test results or um, have been diagnosed, you know, kind of like what you were mentioning, they feel like they have to be strong about it, that they can't share it with other people. And and, and I, I think that's wonderful that you're saying that, yes, you do need to share this. You need to tell people what you need from them, because I think that's really important, you know, for wellness, when we talk about wellness in general. Right. So you, so communication, it's not, so you mentioned anxiety is one of those things that may get in the way of right. um, individuals. Another, or, go ahead. Yeah. 
Yes, another, another um, so anxiety about the whole cancer um, terrain, they, some, one author has called it the cancer terrain, okay? Mm. Um, the next thing that's really important is what kind of communication they had before the diagnosis, okay? Oh, okay. So if there was family conflict or um, people just didn't talk about things that were uncomfortable for them, then, that, of course, communication about the cancer is going to be much more complex and difficult. Right. Okay. And and then, you know, the, the third thing, which is really important, is whether or not they seek help in this department, because there are still many hospitals and treatment <laughs> centers where there isn't an automatic um, invitation to see a mental health professional in the cancer center or in the right. treatment center. And really? Yeah, oh yeah. In fact, I would, I would guess that even though things have improved quite a bit um, since I started working in this field, um, I would say that uh, probably more places than not do not uh, include that as an automatic part of the treatment plan. Wow, no kidding. Right. Uh, just, just by way of aside, there right. are now seven centers um, for survivorship, which means I'm jumping ahead, but... Once treatment ends and the person is considered to be in remission, the cancer has been treated and there isn't any sign of it on the scans, and so now they say, okay, you can go on with your life. But research has shown that there are actually many long-lasting side effects of cancer treatment. And so Mm. they have set up seven centers for cancer survivorship, which include integrative programming to help the person or the person and the family move on past this treatment um, experience. And that it includes psychological counseling, nutritional counseling, um, physical rehabilitation or physical fitness like Tai Chi, Qigong, yoga, all kinds of services. But there are only seven centers in the U.S. right now. Wow. Um, all the other cities don't have that. Oh, okay. Oh, so then you really have to then, uh, if this is something that you're going through, then you really have to do some research to find these centers. Either to find the centers or to find the resources outside of the center. Because it could be that if you live in a major metropolitan area, there are still many more resources available, even if you're not um, close to one of those centers. Okay. And, you know, you mentioned that um, that there are, like, um, effects that occur after an individual has gone through treatment and they've survived it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I don't know if listeners uh, may be familiar with those kinds of things. Well, I know I'm not familiar with those kinds of things. Okay. So, um, yeah, the... Um, um, well, let me, let me give you a cute quote. Um, from an article about one of these centers for cancer survivorship. Okay. A uh, cancer survivor um, uh, called it a GPS after treatment. Oh, nice. It supplements, it supplements routine care provided by the oncologist or the cancer specialist, the doctor, with, mul- with a multidisciplinary approach to managing the long-term effects of cancer. Hmm. Um, so that's, you know, that's what I referred to before. And um, some of these effects are financial bankruptcy from the uh, cancer, yeah. infertility, depression, anxiety, mm. 
family problems, um, loss of jobs, loss of health insurance, all kinds of things happen in the course of cancer treatment. And um, so these centers are meant to help people after they're done with treatment Mm -hmm. to address the lingering depression and anxiety that might still be there, or they might still have their job, but they have job stress, how to manage that while trying to stay healthy, following a healthy plan for keeping cancer away from recurring. Um, Mm -hmm. So these are some of the long-lasting effects. That's pretty overwhelming. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, and, I mean, and, you know, what's striking is they didn't realize this until recently. It is relatively recent research that has identified these long-term stressors. Really? That's, that, I mean, I can imagine just how traumatic that can even be to deal with aside from whatever a person goes through with the diagnosis, with the treatment, with the what-ifs that you were mentioning before, those kinds of things. So you've got like all of this piled up on, on a person. Right. Sometimes people might go through treatment just with the, you know, short-term goals. I'm not going to get nauseous. I'm not going to throw <sighs> up. I'm going to work on my relaxation so I don't have anticipatory anxiety and all the short-term goals, right? Um, try to eat, try to sleep. And then when it's all over and they're done and, you know, thank goodness they're done, then they have this whole pile of stuff that they haven't touched. <laughs> yeah. You know, issues they haven't addressed, paperwork they haven't touched, and family issues that may have been pushed to the back burner because they didn't have time for it during treatment. And then... Some, this is another family effect. Sometimes people unwittingly, family members unwittingly think, okay, you're done with treatment. You can go back to normal. Do your work, do your cooking, or for a man, do your gardening, you know, landscaping, whatever you're going to be doing. And what do you, you know, why aren't you doing all those things? Oh, wow. So there's really like this this kind of uh, a stigmatization on it that once you get treatment and you re- quote unquote, recover from the treatment, your life goes back to pre-diagnosis days. Oh, well, that's only some family members, okay? Okay. Um, Sometimes it could be the opposite, that people are going to be babied, you know, don't do too much. Um, Uh, Are you sure you really want to do that? Um, So again, it depends on the type of cancer, the family dynamics. Um, It it just depends on a lot. But the the important thing is to remember that when treatment ends, especially if it was chemotherapy, it takes the body and the mind some time to recover, even if the doctor says you don't have to come back for your next checkup for three months. So then that means that recovery, I mean, obviously it's going to take, it could take six months, it could take a year, Right. it it could take however long your body and mind need it to take. Right, right. Do you, have you noticed that there are like um, milestones that happen for individuals, like ways that they can tell that they're doing better, feeling better, or family members, like how, you know, ways that they could tell if they're doing better, feeling better? Well, I think, again, it depends on the individual and the type of, of cancer they had and the extent of the treatment they had. But um, certainly it's another communication issue with the physician 
that if you feel like you're not progressing enough after three or six months or a year, you ask your doctor and he or she may say, well, this is normative that people do feel fatigue for a year after ending treatment. And then that could take a big burden off your shoulders to know that it's not you, that you're not different, that you're, there's not something wrong with you, that it's not some hidden cancer still hiding in your cells, right, which is a fear of a lot of people, but that it's normative. It's usual for people to feel more fatigued maybe for a year after cancer treatment ends. And on that note, we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Okay. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You read about it in health news every day. Cancer rates are going up. Obesity in the U.S. is on the rise. Heart disease and diabetes are top killers every year. We can follow the advice of our doctor, but cravings persist. Weight goes up and energy is still down. It doesn't have to be like this. Tune in for Body Balance Talk with your host, Jeannie Schmidt, along with Lucy and Madeline. You'll learn how you can work with your body to feel better and look better, too. Body Balance Talk airs live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Moving Forward Wellness One Step at a Time with Dr. Serena Wathwa. If you have a question or comment for the show today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Serena Wathwa at gmail.com. That's drserena, W-A-D-H-W-A, at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. All right, and welcome back. Thanks for staying with us. And for those of you that may be tuning in, we are talking with Dr. Fire Routman about cancer wellness and integrative perspectives. And, you know, we spent the last um, segments talking a little bit about, you know, what what a psychologist may do in terms of helping uh, individuals or family members that have um, that are waiting for a diagnosis or have the diagnosis. 
and um, things that they could do to help themselves and what family members can do to help them. And, you know, kind of moving it a little bit, um, I was wondering, you know, you had mentioned earlier about how cancer is not, quote unquote, a terminal illness anymore, that it's more of a chronic illness. And I was wondering if you could touch a little bit on that and talk a little bit more about that. Sure. In 2003, the Wall Street Journal had an article entitled, Why Curing Your Cancer May Not Be the Best Idea. And the gist of that article was that it's not all or nothing. Either you're cured or you die from it. Mm. Now, the, the article came from the perspective of an oncologist, the medical world. But after I read it, I started to think about all the psychological gains an individual can achieve if she or he viewed their illness as a chronic rather than a terminal illness. So, for example, if someone is uh, living with diabetes, they should be modifying their diet, not only, not only at home, but when they eat out, when they travel. Exercise and stress management are also recommended for diabetics. If they have to take insulin injections, they have to remember to have a supply on hand wherever they go. So while the diagnosis may be devastating for them, they can learn to adapt and live a fulfilling life. Mm. If the cancer patient also views treatment as a leg of a marathon, it may not be the last leg, but in between, they can have good periods, even long periods, with quality life. And they can have, you know, uh, meaningful family relationships and pursue their career. They mean they may need to recognize that this tranquility can be interrupted because of the need for another round of treatment. They also need to be vigilant about their health, maintaining a nutrient-rich diet, exercising, getting good sleep. Just as a diabetic knows he or she can't go too far astray without health consequences, the person with cancer may also have to sacrifice some of their time and their freedom to maintain a healthier lifestyle perhaps more so than their peers who haven't faced cancer. But the payoff may be great. So let me just interrupt for a minute, just because I don't know, um, you know, just for the listeners' uh, sake, what what exactly do you mean by chronic? Chronic means like you live with it for very long periods of time, maybe the rest of your life. As a doctor might say, you won't die from this, you'll probably die from something else, but you have to live with it. Got it. Okay. And so, so it really you know, then... Just like asthma may be a chronic uh, condition and diabetes and um, other things, cancer can now be viewed, not in every situation, but in many situations as a chronic condition. For example, there are now 14 million cancer survivors in the U.S. alone. Wow. Yep. And that number is projected to increase to 30, uh, by 31% to almost 18 million by t- uh, 2022. And that's, that's amazing. to the National Cancer Institute statistic. That's amazing. Right. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. Okay. So what you're suggesting then is this shift. Now, is this actually a shift that you're seeing that's happening? Like well, as I it- said, this article was in 2003, so this was more than 10 years ago. I think it's even more so now because okay. there are even more cancer survivors. And I have to underscore that there are so many wonderful resources that weren't available when I started in the late 80s working in this field. There is probably a cancer support 
um, program, at least online, for every type of cancer. And then there are tons for all types of cancer. So people can avail themselves to these, these programs that are really beneficial to them in terms of advocacy, in terms of education, and especially in terms of interventions they can begin to take part in. So, okay, so if we're looking at that cancer can be viewed and is now more so being viewed as a chronic illness, something that a person lives with for the re- for the rest of their lives and basically needs to adjust to. And I really like, um, I think that's a great um, word to use is that there is an adjustment that needs to be made. There is sacrifices that, that may need to occur in order to provide space for this diagnosis, whether it be active or in remission in a person's life. Right. That's exactly right. They, people have to prioritize. Okay. And that's hard, uh, you know. It's like oh, yeah. for, for the healthy person. How many of us have made New Year's resolutions and we were so excited about them in December and January and they became faded memories by February, March, or April. Or January. Right. <laughs> Just depending. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So it is really about, um, you know, so what I'm hearing then too is that, and kind of leads into my next question as well, is that, you know, if if we are seeing cancer as being much more of a chronic illness, and an individual then is informed that their cancer is in remission, so treatment is effective, um, you know, it's not an active uh, uh, illness anymore, from a psychological perspective, when we're talking about wellness per se, are individuals actually out of the woods when they reach this this place of, of being told that their cancer is in remission? Or is it really relating to what you were talking about earlier about, you know, just making this adjustment and reprioritizing things? Well, I think the good news is that they can celebrate their remission. Yes. And okay. every anniversary of that date in the future. Believe mm. it or not, I see, I see people who have survived cancer, but have been com- have they, they've already become complacent even about celebrating their anniversary of remission. Really? Yeah. And the bad news is they, they are not out of the woods. Okay? Okay. When doing cancer as a chronic illness, it requires adherence to a health-conscious lifestyle. And for some people, that's easy because it has become second nature and they are reaping the benefits of the adoption of that lifestyle. I remember seeing a middle-aged man during his chemotherapy at the integrative center where I worked and he proudly stated, I never felt healthier in my life even while he was on chemo. Oh, wow. Some people, it's easier to adopt this kind of lifestyle and for others, it's a struggle because of time management issues because they hate to exercise, because they can't get into a relaxation practice, you know, or they have chronic insomnia and that um, messes up their whole day. Um, yeah. So um, we, um, we, we are providing, I think as a society, we are providing more and more services and more and more resources for cancer survivors. And some of it, and now that it's out there more and it's more available, 
some of it just has to be those motivational strategies, either from professionals or even from family members, not nagging, but uh, <laughs> hoping and encouraging to take part in these that are available. So, so let me ask you a question about that because you know there's there's two things that I'm that I'm hearing here is that one um, again kind of going back to what you said earlier there's definitely a role that an individual themselves can play in um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for kind of maintaining or adjusting that's the word I was looking for adjusting to having this active illness and now that it's in remission, um, you know, kind of looking at how do they, you know, the phrase you used, adhere to a health conscious lifestyle. And what what do you suggest is a good starting, not a good, I don't want to use the word good, but um, a, a starting point for listeners who may be at this place or if they know somebody who just got, um, you know, uh, the di- the results back and they're in remission. What what kinds of things can you suggest, uh, steps that you can suggest for individuals to start taking to do that? Okay, so for every person, it's an individual individually tailored program. For example, some people may come into the cancer treatment pretty healthy. They exercise, they eat well. So maybe they need to learn some relaxation strat- strategies because stress and work um uh, workaholic lifestyle is part of their problem. So for them, it would be learning and practicing um, one of the relaxation strategies, which could be diaphragmatic breathing or guided imagery, something a little more physical like Tai Chi or Qigong, yoga, something like that to help them work on stress. Okay. For somebody else, where their, their lifestyle is totally out of whack, they never cook at home, and their diet is terrible with fast food um, uh, meals all the time, and they're obese, you know, they are going to have a different challenge than the other person. Um, Mm. But I always am a firm believer in baby steps. Oh, yeah. So wherever they're starting from, I believe that you can make progress if you don't get overwhelmed and you just keep plugging away, making inroads in Um, to reach your goal. So if it's somebody who has had a lifestyle that's been out of whack for a while, they can decide which one do I think is most important or maybe with their physician, which one would be most important for me to tackle to help prevent a recurrence of this cancer. Or for example, smoking, right? I just heard a startling statistic on the radio this week that 9% of cancer survivors resume smoking after treatment ends. Wow. 9% may not sound very big, but it actually means 1 million cancer survivors, mostly of lung and bladder cancer. So we need to help those people find other ways to manage their stress without smoking. Hmm. Okay. Well, And on that note, we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. 
Cancer is not something to be taken lightly. But instead of being talked at by doctors, medical providers, and others, wouldn't it be nice to hear from a host who has worked at the Cancer Coalface for 38 years as a caregiver, supporter for 14,000 patients, and who has had the experience of having a life-threatening condition herself? You will hear the stories of survivors and other people who work in breakthrough cancer medicine. Navigating the Cancer Maze with host Grace Goller will help you with the facts, planning, and grief experienced with different forms and stages of cancer. Listen every Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The largest syndicated alternative health talk program has come to the Voice America Network. The Dr. Bob Martin Show is the program that will answer your health questions and help you to heal your own body of many different ailments. Each week, you'll hear the answers that Dr. Bob gives to his callers that help them to be their own doctor most of the time. We'll also discuss developments on the health care front and what you need to do to keep your body in top form. The Dr. Bob Martin Show airs Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Moving Forward Wellness One Step at a Time with Dr. Serena Wathwa. If you have a question or comment for the show today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Serena Wadwa at gmail.com. That's Dr. Serena W A D H W A at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. All right, and welcome back, and thank you for staying tuned. Um, so, we were talking about. Um, before the break a little bit about, you know, this notion of how cancer um, is looked at as a chronic illness rather than a terminal illness. And I really like that phrase that you said, you know, adapting to it and living a fulfilling life. Um, I think that's, that's, that's really a, um, an important piece to all of this. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about um, how individuals, whether they're listening or they know somebody that may be diagnosed or who is struggling with this diagnosis, how they can cope with cancer. I'm wondering if you can provide or if there are resources that you think can be beneficial for um, individuals that either are waiting for a diagnosis, have the diagnosis, or family and friend members. You mean organizations that they can reach out to? Yeah, or, you know, just places to get information from. Sure. So here in Chicagoland, we have some wonderful resources. The um, the Cancer Wellness Center, which is located in Northbrook and Palatine, can be reached at cancerwellness.org, and they actually offer free services for cancer patients and a guest, a relative or a friend. Then there's another wellness house in Hinsdale, Illinois, which is wellnesshouse.org. And nationally, um, we have uh, a wonderful resource called cancercare.org, which is 1-800-813-HOPE. And they offer um, workshops in New York, where it's based, as well as teleconferences that cover a wide array of topics that would be relevant to a cancer patient and his or her family. Um, I'll just mention also this Fertile Hope that helps people who are younger cancer survivors who do want to try to have a biological family. 
And, um, you know, when I started out in this field, um, that usually was not addressed. Um, they usually didn't recommend people trying to get pregnant after a cancer diagnosis. But today there are many, many people who have already successfully been able to achieve that both because of the um, uh, advances in fertility procedures and because the oncologists and medical staff have become more attuned to this problem and address it with patients when they're first diagnosed. Um, and there are many, many more. The Live Strong Foundation is um, well-known, I think, amongst um, many people, and they are behind uh, the seven centers of excellence for cancer survivorship that I mentioned, mm. and that could be at livestrong.org, um, I believe that one is. And are those resources that are, um, are they also, or do they also provide information for, like, friends or uh, coworkers that may know somebody that is struggling with this? Well, uh, yes and no. I think um, there's so much information on the Internet today that, um, you know, going to, like, Gilders Club, uh, Chicago.org, or Gilders Club.org, for example, for um, people with um, breast cancer, um, friends of people with breast cancer, they... um, they may get a lot of information from those websites, and they do have uh, these clubs where um, activities are scheduled regularly. Um, they also offer programs for kids who have cancer and or kids who have cancer in the family or have lost a loved one to cancer. So um, I think if people you know, do do a Google search for the specific uh, topic they're looking for, including specific cancers, as I said earlier, there is probably an organization for almost at least one organization for at least every type of cancer that's out there today, um, which we couldn't say that 30 years ago. Yeah, no kidding. It's amazing, too, just how far you know research and treatment and options have advanced, right. too. Right. I mean, just you know, from some of the information that you've been sharing today, it it does sound like that we don't we don't need to look at cancer as a as a terminal illness as a death sentence that there are you know and again qual- qualifying that with depending on the type and the stage that it is um, but that there really is a lot more options these days for individuals yes and there's a lot more hope and a lot more hope, and that's important too. Is the hope absolutely? Um, so, what about for individuals? You know, because I don't want to like scare <laughs> listeners, you too. And what about for those listeners that you know, like you mentioned, um, some individuals uh, will be more worried about a potential diagnosis because there is a family history, or they've had um, you know test results from prior. Uh, times come back in different ways. And so for individuals that are listening that that really want to be more effective in preventative measures, and even for individuals um, that may be in remission, what what kinds of things can you suggest um, that individuals can do to reduce their risks to cancer? Okay. So um, I think this applies to um, both of those groups that you mentioned, those who are afraid because of a family history and those who are in remission. And also, I have worked with so many um, chronic illnesses over the years that I've begun to see similarities in prevention strategies for all of them. It could be cancer, heart disease, dementia, macular degeneration, which is loss of the focal vision in the eye, 
Mm. For all of these, um, it is now recommended to have a diet rich in healthy nutrients, to exercise, to work on stress reduction through relaxation exercises, to get good sleep. Um, so um, the, the problem is that if um, you don't have that genetic predisposition to a particular illness, those tips will take you a long way. But, of course, there aren't any guarantees because mm. there, is the, there are the factors of genetics, which are very important in today's science, and environmental toxins. But what we're finding also is there could be an interaction between the toxins, which we may not be able to control, and factors that we can control, such as body fat. They Mm -hmm. found that body fat can absorb chemicals found in pesticides or food packaging, and those can act as endocrine disruptors, which means it mimics or blocks hormones, and it it will disrupt the body's normal functioning. So rather than throw up your hands and say, if you do have a family predisposition, um, throw up your hands and say, well, it's in my genes, I can't do anything about it, right? You can say, I can't control my genes, but I can control what I can control, which is my diet, my exercise, my mind-body exercises, which again includes relaxation exercises, and Tai Chi, Qigong, yoga, Many, many different varieties of those, mm-hmm. um, and uh, how, how many hours a day I work and what my sleep is like. Those are things I can control. And you know what? Even if I don't get that cancer, even if I have the gene and it doesn't manifest itself in me, these strategies will help me for general health for many years to come. They're part of the anti-aging strategies that are promoted all over the place these days. Oh, which sounds good. <laughs> so is, I mean, just out of curiosity, I mean, it sounds like then that there is um, a relationship, obviously, and I know you've mentioned this earlier, that with a person's um, like lifestyle, you, you mentioned this before, this this health conscious lifestyle. Right. And it's it sounds like what you're suggesting is that as a preventative measure, if individuals um, somehow become more effective in developing a health conscious lifestyle, that that really can go a long way. For sure. And the, the problem is, I mean, the good thing is that they do recommend that people start early so they know that research on on childhood obesity, right, can have long-lasting effects in adulthood to affect a person's adult health. Um, We also know that young people, uh, particularly young people, will have an unwritten script in their head. Oh, it can't happen to me. They feel invincible. And that's good in some ways. But if it's felt too strongly and adhered to too strongly, then it can become denial. Um, and so they refuse to do anything about it, assuming it's not going to happen to them. And when it does happen, the shock is going to be so much greater and uh, depression can be so much more intense if it does happen. You know, it, it feels like it's coming out of nowhere. If a person has the attitude, it can't happen to me. Um, also, many times people make these resolutions, uh, when I'm 30, I'll quit smoking. When I'm 40, I'll quit drinking, you know, and then they continue to push it off and say, oh, next year, right? And again, that, that creates problems because um, the more you push it off, the higher your risks become. 
So let me just interrupt because we're, we're actually out of time. And okay. I know you have so many other suggestions to provide. If individuals, if listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do so? So uh, my website is stateoftheartpsychology.com. And my office phone number, I'm in private practice in Skokie, and uh, that is 847-568-1056. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate that. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And listeners, thanks for listening with us. Join us next week as we talk with Dr. Ben Duke about physical wellness. Have a great weekend. Thanks again for making the first of hopefully many changes this week by tuning in to Moving Forward, Wellness One Step at a Time. Dr. Serena Wadwa hopes that you'll join her again next Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 